Part one, the peace between your ears, everything diets don't tell you about weight loss. Chapter one, how we got here. My junior year in high school, I would get up at 5.30 a.m. to ride the vintage Schwinn Airdyne stationary bike while studying AP Civics in an effort to burn extra calories before school. In college, I had no idea how to eat healthy, so I ate mostly bagels and Diet Coke with a slim fast for dinner, you know, to quote-unquote save calories. Even though I was an athlete in high school and college, I remember constantly worrying about my weight. After I finished school, my activity level slowed down and exercise became more of a chore rather than something I actually looked forward to. Plus, I didn't know how to eat in a way that supported me, so the weight began to creep on. Fast forward a few years, I got married to a wonderful man, and we had two sweet kiddos. But I found myself feeling exhausted and guilting myself with, I should work out, rather than truly wanting to exercise, or actually even doing it. Plus, life was busy. I mean, is life ever not busy? I was interested in food that was easy and quick and crowd-pleasing, which is not exactly a recipe for healthy meals. One day, my friend Lynn invited me to dinner for my birthday, and she said, what are you doing next month? Because I'm starting a stroller rides franchise, and you have to come. Um, okay, I replied. Soon, the stroller rides moms became my friends and my community during a time when my most prevalent thought was, how exactly do I do this mom thing? Several months later, Lynn needed help teaching her classes because she was going on maternity leave, and she asked me if I'd be willing to get certified and step in for her. And I thought, sure, but this is a temporary thing, right? Pretty soon, I found that I loved teaching fitness. I was surprised that even as an introvert, I could turn on my, quote, coach persona and make classes fun and leave people smiling. But here's the thing. The more I stood in front of the class, the more I felt like an imposter. Who the heck was I to tell these women how to feel great when I didn't like the way my clothes fit and all I could see in the mirror was the cottage cheese on my thighs? I was far from comfortable with my body. Why should anyone listen to me? I felt like I needed to find some secret so that I could teach it to my classes. And naturally, I assumed the secret was to work out more and eat less. And that's how I found myself at the kitchen table with another diet book in front of me with this image in my mind of the perfect after picture that felt forever out of reach. Though I didn't realize it at the time, that day marked a turning point for me. I realized that going on a diet to lose weight is like going to the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. And now that song is in my head. Great. Anyway, I began to ask myself, so what's the whole point of losing weight anyway? What am I really after? And I realized that I wanted to just feel confident. I wanted to go to the pool with my kids and be present with them instead of obsessing about how I looked in my swimsuit. I wanted to actually enjoy my life instead of carrying around this cloud of self-conscious thoughts all the time. So I turned in my room key at the Hotel Diatfornia, and I decided to focus on the end result, how I wanted to feel. And this book is what I learned. Why is it so hard to feel comfortable in your own skin? Have you ever seen a baby explore and begin to figure out their world through the miracle of their body? As babies, we spend hours in awe and wonder of our bodies, discovering the miracle of fingers and toes and smiles. We know we are a miracle coming into this world. Babies aren't ashamed to ask for or demand what they need. 
And toddlers aren't afraid to say, look at me, I did something awesome. In fact, I'm awesome, can't you tell? (laughs) However, our survival depends on people. And so we learn to look outside of ourselves for validation. And we dim the light of our awesome to fit in with the tribe. We learn that we are not a-okay as we are. We get conflicting messages. On the one hand, there's this model of perfection, more on that in a sec, that we see everywhere, magazines, commercials, TV shows. The diet and beauty industry tells us very clearly that we are not enough as we are, but we could be if only we buy their products. On the other hand, we're taught that it's egotistical, arrogant, and self-centered to appreciate our bodies or (gasps) believe we're beautiful. Can you imagine saying out loud in seventh grade, yeah, I think I'm beautiful. Wait, just the thought of it is like cringeworthy. Who are you to think you're beautiful? That's for someone else to tell you, not for you to decide for yourself. On top of that, caring for yourself can feel a little selfish. Many of us have this natural energy that's nurturing and caring and supporting. If we care about ourselves too much, then we're less caring about others. And that's bad. So in summary, here's what we learn. Number one, you are not okay as you are. Number two, believing you are beautiful is bad. And number three, take care of others first and yourself last. Can you see any of these scripts anywhere in your head? Do they feel true to you? Is it any wonder we struggle with our self-image when we have this underlying program that tells us, one, we're not okay as we are, two, it's dangerous to think too highly of ourselves, and three, On top of that, we've possibly spent years taking care of others' needs first and neglecting our bodies in the process. In order to figure out how to fix this pattern, let's look into the brain and see exactly what the heck is going on in there. How your brain is like Aaron Rodgers. My son's favorite football team is the Green Bay Packers. How a Florida kid ended up loving a team from Wisconsin, I'll never know. Nevertheless, I keep up on the NFL story so I can have something to talk about with him. During the 2021 season, quarterback Aaron Rodgers missed a game because of COVID protocols. Aaron Rodgers is an expensive player. He gets paid a lot of money. However, the way the Green Bay Packers play that day shows exactly why it's worth it to pay him so much money. The team was definitely not the same without him. In the world of the human body, your brain is kind of like the star quarterback. Expensive, but worth it. The brain is a really big energy drain on the human body. At the same time, it's pretty useful, so there's a good reason to keep it around. Just as the quarterback hands the ball to the running back or throws it to the receiver, the brain parses out functions into different areas of the brain that take up more or less energy in order to be more efficient. Basically, it's really good at delegating. The conscious mind, which is primarily in the neocortex, is the evolutionarily younger part of the brain. This is where we make conscious decisions, like, I'm going on a diet. The subconscious mind is the older, more primitive part of the brain. This is the part of the brain that's focused on keeping you alive with things like breathing, digestion, and the fight or flight response. Folks often refer to this part of the brain as the, quote, lizard brain. By the way, more on that in the section on self-sabotage, so stay tuned. Anywho, Estimates vary, but experts say that up to about 95% of our decisions and actions are dictated by the subconscious mind. The brain is constantly looking for patterns to delegate to the subconscious mind so that it can save energy. And those patterns become our habits. 
when something gets delegated to your lower brain, it's outside of your conscious thought because it's a habit. It's sort of like Wi-Fi. It's there, but you can't see it. All you're really aware of is the result. The result with Wi-Fi is streaming the latest Marvel movie, and the result with brain is reaching for the M&Ms after dinner. It is a marvelous gift that our brains can do this. It makes life so much easier that we can delegate patterns and habits onto autopilot. And like any double-edged sword, it can really wreak havoc in our plans when it comes to losing weight. You see, the brain doesn't have a filter to sort through what's a positive habit or a negative one. It's simply scanning for patterns. When there's a reward attached to a pattern, the brain thinks that this pattern is worth repeating. And presto changeo, you've got yourself a habit. Oh, but wait, there's more. While all that's going on, the subconscious mind is always on high alert, scanning for any change or anything out of the ordinary. Why? So remember the subconscious mind is the evolutionarily older part of the brain. I mean, we're talking primitive here. So back in cavewoman days, different meant bad. Change meant there was a potential threat to your survival. So imagine the subconscious mind is speaking. Hmm, there's less food than yesterday. Maybe there's a famine coming. Better conserve some fat to make sure we have enough reserves for this famine. Or how about this one? Hmm, those berries are different. They could be good to eat. But then again, cave gal Sally keeled over from eating something different last month, so I'm steering clear of whatever these are. Or another one. What's that rustle in the grass? It could be just the wind. Or it could be dinner. Ooh, or it could be something with big pointy teeth looking to make me its dinner. I think I'll run away. The brain evolved to protectively look for what's wrong or different in your environment to protect us from predators or other dangers. These days, our brains are pretty much the same, but our environments are really different, you know, thankfully. So let's zoom out, shall we? Number one, on the one hand, we've got the brain putting anything with a reward attached to it on autopilot so we don't have to think about it. Number two, but that also means we can't really see it, so it's hard to know what's going on beneath the surface. And number three, at the same time, the brain is actively looking for what's wrong and avoiding change like your life depends on it. Well, because, you know, it used to be true. Imagine the subconscious mind is like a factory with minions inside pumping out habits. And the minions never question their orders. They just go through the motions doing their thing time after time, day after day. At the door of the subconscious mind factory is this big burly bouncer whose job is to make sure no new orders get in unless it's got a reward attached to it. Then along comes the good idea fairy who says to the bouncer, I've got a great idea. Let's go on a diet and eat salad for lunch. And the bouncer says, I hate change. Your ideas are terrible. And unless you've got a reward attached to that salad, my minions aren't changing your habits one bit. And we wonder why change is so hard. But here's the tricky part. Just like we have habits of actions, like M&Ms after dinner, We also have habits of thought as well. Like, I always start off strong, but then I fall off the wagon. When the brain delegates a thought habit track to your subconscious minion factory, it can be hard to break out of it because those thoughts begin to feel really true. How people are like pups. In 1967, before he became known as the father of positive psychology, Martin Seligman decided he wanted to study what makes people mentally healthy rather than only focusing on mental illness. He did an experiment where he gave a small shock to a dog and paired the shock with the sound of a bell. 
Over time, the dog learned to react to the bell as if it had been shocked, even if the shock was removed. Next, he put the dog in a crate with a small divider down the middle. The dog could see over the divider and he could get over it easily. On one side of the divider, the floor was mildly electrified and the floor on the other side of the divider was not. As you might imagine, when a dog felt a shock on one side of the divider, it would move and find the area that was safe. Which kind of reminds me of that show, The Floor is Lava. Yeah, but I digress. Anyway, here's the crazy part. The dogs that had been conditioned to the shock with the bell, they just laid down and whimpered. They didn't try to find an area of the floor that didn't have a shock. They just gave up. Dogs that had not been preconditioned to the shock quickly jumped to the non-electrified side of the crate. Seligman realized that the dogs had developed, quote, learned helplessness. Over time, he noticed the same patterns in people, too. When some people experience persistent failure or a traumatic event, they can develop learned helplessness and convince themselves that nothing will work, so they stop trying. Um, Have you ever felt that way about trying to lose weight? (laughs) You work hard to stay within your calorie budget. You've been, quote, good all week, but the scale isn't moving. And then you have one night where you got a little overboard and the scale goes up two pounds. It's enough to make anyone want to give up and feel like there's no use in even trying. Interestingly, in his research, Seligman noticed something strange. Not everyone developed learned helplessness in the face of trauma or failure. Some people actually succeeded and thrived when other people stopped trying. What the heck was going on with these weirdos? As he studied this group of people who flourished in the face of failure, he noticed there was something different about the way they explained the events of their lives to themselves. Instead of feeling hopeless, these optimistic oddballs created a positive, empowering story around the circumstances in their lives. Why did failure impact people differently depending on how they explained it to themselves? Because your brain is like the matrix. Your reality is flexible depending on how you decide to view it. (laughs) Now you may be thinking, okay, hold up. You just lost me there. No worries, hang with me a sec. So, imagine you're in the subway and a man walks in with his kids. The kids are totally rambunctious and loud and the man is hardly paying any attention to them. You think, geez, can't this guy control his kids or at least be engaged enough to realize that they're bothering everyone else here? Then he looks up from his daze and he says, oh my God, I'm sorry. We just came from the hospital. I just lost my wife, their mother. I don't, I don't even know what's going on right now. Suddenly, the meaning of the event that you witnessed has changed dramatically. Instead of a thoughtless father who can't be bothered to parent his kids, you see a grieving husband and two children who now have to grow up without their mother. The event didn't change. The meaning of the event changed, and that impacted how you felt about it. Reality became flexible based on how you chose to view it. So here's a system of thinking about this. The events and situations in our lives are neutral. We have thoughts about events to create meaning. Those thoughts lead to feelings and emotions, and feelings lead to actions and results. I like to think of this using an acronym, S-T-E-A-R, STEER. You know, like you're steering a ship of your life, only not quite spelled the same. (laughs) Sorry. Each thing triggers the next. It's like a waterfall effect. So S stands for situation, T stands for thoughts, E stands for emotions, A stands for actions, and R stands for results. Our brains are meaning-making machines. Though the events of our lives are neutral, 
they don't feel neutral because of the stories we tell ourselves. Your brain is always trying to make sense of the world. So it creates a story or an explanation about what those events mean in order for the world to make sense. And that story feels completely true. But is it? Just like the story of the father in the subway, your thoughts about the events in your life are just thoughts. That doesn't make them true. So how does this apply to the events in your weight loss journey and how you explain them to yourself? Here's how. When something external triggers you, what do you make that mean? How does the meaning your brain creates end up causing you to suffer and thus want to turn to food to feel better? So here's an example. We're going to go through a couple of these. So situation, I stepped on the scale and it's up two pounds. Thought, this will never work. Emotion, defeated. Action, give up. Result, gain 10 pounds. Here's another example. Situation, the scale has gone up and down the same three pounds for about a month. Thought, I've been wasting my time. I'm no closer to where I want to be. Emotion, how does that thought make you feel? Probably pretty bad. Action. What do you do when you feel that way? What actions do you take? And then, of course, what results do you get when you're feeling lousy? Let's take another situation. I've lost five pounds. Thought. I should be further along by now. How does that thought make you feel? And the feeling that that creates, what actions do you take when you're feeling discouraged, like you should be further along? And when you take those actions, what results do you get? You can see how the story you tell yourself about your weight loss efforts makes such a difference. Not all stories are created equal. And there's one story that trumps all the rest in the single biggest factor that can derail your progress. That story is the shame spiral of doom. The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell or hell of heaven. John Milton. The shame spiral of doom. When I was in seventh grade, I told a lie. You see, I really wanted to go see the movie Dirty Dancing, but it was rated PG-13 and I was not yet 13. Instead of asking my mom if she would just trust me to see a movie that was rated PG-13 when I was 12, I assumed she would say no. So I lied. I told her that a friend of mine and I were going to go see the movie North Shore about a kid from Arizona who moves to Hawaii to surf. The whole time I was in the theater, I felt like my mom could see me doing something wrong. When I got home, she asked me about the movie. It was good, I said vaguely. Tell me about it, she said. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, make up something quick. Um, well, there was this guy and he goes surfing and yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, all I could think about was Patrick Swayze in his tight black shirt. What? I was 12. Fortunately, mom didn't press me too hard. But I could tell that pretty soon, one lie was going to lead to another in order to cover up for the first lie. And I could feel myself getting caught and kind of sucked into this whirlpool of lies, stacking one on top of the other. Shame can be a lot like that. It pulls you into its downward spiral that builds on itself. And pretty soon you find yourself looking up from the bottom of a bag of Doritos wondering, what just happened? Let me explain. The brain is a pretty straightforward machine. It has one main job keep you alive. One of the main rules the brain follows to ensure survival is seek pleasure and avoid pain. But here's the problem. When we feel some kind of negative emotion like hurt, pain, stress, boredom, 
the brain looks for something that will soothe a difficult feeling. And sitting and being present with a difficult emotion feels not so great. So instead of feeling the feels, your brain looks for something that will relieve the tension of that emotion. And foods high in sugar, salt, and fat light up the pleasure centers in the brain like a Christmas tree. So from the brain's point of view, food is a quick and reliable way to feel better. It's a simple equation. Problem, I feel bad. Solution, seek to feel better. How? Sugar, salt, fat. However, food is a temporary fix, and it doesn't solve the original issue of whatever difficult emotion you are feeling. So now you're left with the painful emotion that did not get resolved and an empty bag of chips. When we layer in the diet story on top of that, things get really interesting. Diets purposefully try and make weight loss seem simple. Just follow these simple steps and you'll lose weight. However, there's so much more going on beneath the surface of the quote, simple rules that diets never address. Trying to follow the rules of a diet is like someone telling the captain of the Titanic, yeah, just avoid any ICC on the surface and you'll be fine. If it's so simple, why is it so hard? Then Shane walks into the party and says, if these rules are so simple, then I must be an idiot because I can't stick to them. And it's not a big leap for your brain to jump from the neutral event of eating chips and make it mean all kinds of things like, I'm fat. I have no self-control. Why did I eat so much? I always do this. I'll never be able to lose weight. I'm letting myself and everyone else down. And so on. So the equation is original painful emotion plus I ate too much equals now I feel even worse. Our brains take an action and turn it into a meaning. A bag of chips suddenly becomes evidence of my failure as a human being. Shame takes that one event and turns it into a weapon I can use against myself. Going back to the STEER acronym, let's walk through this. So S, situation. I ate chips. Remember, that's a neutral event but our thoughts make meaning from it. So T, thought. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do what the diet says? Ugh, I have no self-control. E, emotion. Naturally, those thoughts make me feel shame, remorse. I feel defeated. So what actions, A, do I take when I feel shame and remorse? I eat whatever I want for the rest of the weekend because it's not working anyway. And naturally, what results do I get from that? R, I end up undoing all the progress I've made last week over a single weekend. So what started as a simple negative emotion has now become this massive shame show, leaving you stuck at the bottom of a whirlpool feeling like you're doomed. And on it goes. In the book, there's this kind of cool drawing, if I do say so myself, called the shame spiral of doom. And basically it's this whirlpool where at the bottom, you end up feeling lousy because you had some chips and it just spirals on into itself. So We seem to think that making ourselves feel really bad is the key to making change happen, (laughs) but it's not true. If you're telling yourself the same old shame story as you're losing weight, then you'll keep getting the same result of going up and down the scale and never feeling happy, no matter what the number says. Your thoughts directly impact your results. Your thinking is like the gas that fuels your journey up or down the scale. And the fuel you use to change your life determines what your destination will look like when you get there. Toxic fuel is not sustainable. I've never heard a successful happy person say, yeah, I just kept beating myself up until I reached long-term success. Shame and loathing are the kinds of fuel that lead you to a desolate and empty destination. 
We need to learn new patterns of thinking and overwrite the old programs that have us stuck in the shame spiral of doom. If you want a different result, you got to start where the process begins with different thoughts. The power of loving yourself now as you're losing weight is a superpower. Try these thoughts. I love myself enough to figure this out. I love myself even when I make mistakes or fall off the wagon. I love myself enough to look for progress rather than perfection. Choosing your thoughts is not about lying to yourself or turning a blind eye when things are kind of sucky. Honoring your feelings is really important. And choosing your thoughts on purpose does help you perceive reality in an empowering way that sets you up to take positive action towards the result you want. The thoughts you have about your weight loss efforts aren't just important. They are everything. Your thoughts are the difference between success and failure, between progress and giving up, between helplessness and hopefulness. When you choose your thoughts, new thoughts turn into new actions, and new actions turn into new results. And results always start with a thought. It is time to tell yourself a new story. What have you got to lose? Start from love and you'll see real transformation. We change by feeling good, not by feeling bad. BJ Fogg. By the way, speaking of thoughts, let's dive right in and talk about the thoughts you have most often, the ones about yourself. <laughs> 